1: God, it's nice to be back in front of this microphone. I've missed y'all, and I'm sure your uh, lives haven't been quite the same ever since uh, we put out the last last podcast. Lord help me, the words, they're failing me right now. We have, uh, we've been absent for about 10 days now. We took a nice little break for Thanksgiving, and uh, we're back. I know I promised y'all an episode Monday, but Podbean was not cooperating with us, and we had some problems getting in there and uploading the podcast for you to enjoy, but that is now resolved, and uh, you're listening to us live, live right now. This is not really live, but anyways, guys, Layton wasn't able to meet me for this interview. Preston and I, the guests that we have on the show tonight, he we set up a good time, and, and Layton got caught up. He's having some problems with his shoulder, and he's having to see the doctor, and that's got him behind on work, so I'm running solo tonight, and I'm going to keep this short and sweet and to the point. We want to thank y'all for being a part of the Chase and Tales podcast. You know, Leighton and I look at the numbers that come in and we look at the states that we've captured. We're only missing uh, three states in the entire country right now. And that is just awesome to have 47 people I'm sorry, 47 states with people in there that find value in what we're putting out there in, in 17 countries. I mean, that's just incredible. I, I'm I'm overwhelmed. And thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen to our show every time. Just a couple quick things. One, we do have a live uh, website, www.chasingtalesoutdoors.com. I would love to have y'all visit and let me know what you're thinking. we got a couple things that are still coming out, a couple things that are coming down the pipe that I think uh, y'all might enjoy, a little story corner uh, kind of blog thing where I'm going to open it up for people to submit their stories, and, and some of the guests that we've had on here are going to also write stories. So if that's the kind of thing you're interested in, get on there and take a look, see what's going on, see what we're all about, and... Uh, we appreciate you. Um, we, For those that have asked, uh, we have set up a Patreon account where you can go and uh, there's a tab on the website. If you'd like to donate to the show, you're more than wel- welcome to go on there and do so. Um, we're not asking for that. If you want to do it, we've had some people that have reached out and I can't keep up with, with all of all the folks that reach out to us, so I just figured I'd announce it. If you're interested, if, if you've contacted me in the past about reaching out for the show or supporting the show, then uh, just see the donate tab on our website and you're good to go. If not, we're glad to have you anyways. Before we get to the show and the interview that I did with Preston, I just want to thank Wild Edge Inc. and the Bowhunter Bucks Club for for sponsoring this podcast. Without their support, we wouldn't get out in the woods and do what we do and and have some of the awesome gear that we do and, and we wouldn't be able to bring this podcast to you and that's our main goal. So, uh, we want to thank both of them, and if you're interested in, on our sponsors tab, I have uploaded the promo codes that we've worked hard to negotiate for y'all. We've got a promo code for Bowhunter Box Club and Wild Edge. They're located on the on the website under the sponsors tab. The sponsors' websites there. The promo code's there. You're good to go. So I told promised y'all I'd keep it short and sweet, and we're sitting at three minutes. So. The guest that we're having on the show is Preston Mullins. You might remember remember him from episode twelve, where he talked about public land hunting up in Ohio and Pennsylvania and what he has to uh, go through. And just kind of, we just kind of did like a, a general discussion about public land hunting there versus here. Well, this time on the show, he is here to to share an incredible story about a wonderful buck that he shot this year, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy. Well, on the phone, I have got a return guest, one that uh, garnered a lot of attention and was probably one of our more popular podcasts. I've got on the phone now, Preston Mullins. How you doing, buddy? Hey, good. How about yourself? Dude, I am I am on cloud nine. I had a weekend of duck hunting, and we've got a cold front coming through this week, so I'm not sweating every time I walk outside, and, and that I'm, I'm a happy camper.
2: That doesn't sound bad. What's a cold front in Florida consist of?
1: Uh, It's like... 53 degrees outside right now <laughs> oh,
0: Okay. <laughs> i mean it Such
1: depends bad. on where you are it depends on where you are in florida i think it's uh i just pulled it up now that you put me on the spot it's 47 degrees outside so that's uh that's cool that's something just so
2: the so the listeners are aware here i'm only laughing because here in western pennsylvania i mean i hunted two weekends in a row sub 25 at the end of october beginning of november so that's nice 50 cold front that's about that's a high about 50% of the year up here, I think.
1: <laughs> yeah, we I, we count, I, when I first moved down here, we looked at a uh, number of days uh, below freezing in here in Tallahassee, and it was like 13, and I was like, oh, and it, days above 93, it was like 44 or something like that. I was like, oh, no, that's the I, wrong ratio. <laughs>
2: yeah, I did I did uh, ice scraping on my windshield this morning to go to work.
1: Oh, man, I defrosted my windshield this morning. That That was cool. Oh, right, there you go. <laughs> it, t- it took about uh, three minutes. <laughs> yeah, mine,
2: I did. I had to do some ice scraping with the actual scraper. You guys probably don't even sell those
1: in Florida. I didn't even know that was a thing. Yes, it See? is. There yeah. you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, guys, uh, if if you're new to the uh, if you're new to the podcast, we had, or just you haven't got caught up yet, we had pressing on episode twelve. And just so you know, he changed his Instagram handle. It used to be Crazy Four Times. Uh, now it is the DIY Hunter, right? Correct. Okay. Cool. Cool. And uh, we had him on. We had an awesome conversation. Uh, about kind of top. Yeah, everything that he faced in the from his hunts in the Midwest to the Northeast. Um, a brief synopsis is you know Preston hunts public land whitetails pretty much anywhere that he could drive to and he started to add, add some uh western big game hunting to that mix as well so um I, I highly i highly recommend going and following his instagram i know he's got some cool things uh coming uh down the pipe for for him and, and his organization so as a matter of fact you know what Preston? why don't you go ahead and tell everybody what you've got coming if 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 uh that's yeah no, you want to
2: yeah no problem um so basically i just Nothing crazy. I think, I think there's tons and tons of guys out there doing the same thing me and a couple of my buddies are doing. But um, I just, about a year or two ago, just really started kind of getting into this social media thing. And last fall, I was like, you know what, we're going to give this thing a go. I've been self-filming here now for about two, three years, but never took it real serious. And uh, I got a pretty good, pretty good buck on film last year and sort of caught the bug to want to film and uh this year started taking it real serious and go figure it's been one of my harder harder whitetail seasons probably in the last five years of really getting something in front of me but it's beside the point i have a couple friends that are also getting into it and uh we're kind of just putting together like a little bit of team sort of a team of us friends here i got a guy in jersey or in delaware that i grew up with i got another real good buddy in uh ohio i'm in pennsylvania and then I got a real met a really great guy out in Idaho that we're now become pretty good friends with as well. So we sort of have the do-it-yourself whitetail big game public land avenue covered in every direction. And I said, you know what? I let's let's let people see what we do. Let's see how they how do we scout. We're not pros. We're not killing 200 inch buck year in and year out. But we're killing animal. I mean, we're taking down good good whitetail for the areas that we're in. Um, Kid out in Idaho does great with elk hunting. We had an awesome, awesome elk hunt this fall. Uh, we already rebooked to go back out on public next fall. Um, and I said, you know, I, I'm just going to kind of get this thing going. And one kid's editing, uh, got a website, probably going to be finished here real shortly. And it's just, it's called the DIY Hunter. And I'm not the DIY Hunter. What we're trying to do is kind of culminate DIY hunting Is everybody's a DIY hunter if they want to be. You don't, you don't need to have a million dollars to go kill big animals. You don't need a million dollars to travel around. We're kind of going to show people how do we do it. And do we work hard? Yeah, we all work very, very hard to be able to <laughs> pay for our hobbies. But we also do it as cheaply as possible. Um, and, and we kind of want to expose that as a possibility to allow people to see how do we get it done and how do we do it. I mean, whether it's sleeping in the back of our truck for one night or – where do we get tags at and why do we get them in which states and how do we run and gun and just things of that nature and really try to expose like the do-it-yourself market on a larger level across multiple states with us friends and just show, show what we do. That's it. Nothing crazy. There's no sales pitch. There's nothing nuts about what we do. It's just takes time and energy. That's all. So that's all coming shortly. Uh, the YouTube page is up. We're starting to get some videos uploaded and slowly but surely hopefully by next season really have a good basis of followers as to start letting the followers drive the content and the things that we're posting uh, is kind of our goal.
1: Rock on. So on that note, what States have you hunted in and for what species?
2: Um, at this point, this season I've hunted this season specifically or just period,
1: just this season. Because I know you mentioned you mentioned before we started recording that you've uh, spent uh, like a month and a half away from home, so I'm just
2: yeah, I've been pretty running ragged. Um, we spent we spent quite a few days in Idaho in during archery rut for elk, and to be honest with you, it, three of us and we all shot arrows, so it was one of the most successful hunts ever without actually putting a tag on an animal, and that's a story to be said for later. But anybody who's ran around. Northern Idaho, full sprint up and down mountains. You're not you're not taking open shots. Um, but that was beside the point. We were we were in Idaho. Um, I came back and then I flip flop. I'll depending on the weather and what days I have off. I'll run between Ohio and Pennsylvania back and forth for whitetail. And then I went to Missouri over Halloween weekend and hunted for what five or six days. Came back and been running around between Ohio and. uh, Pennsylvania but I've spent very very little time in PA this year which is why the archery season's coming to the end this weekend and I've not yet to tag out I have spent very little sits in the state unfortunately and fortunately because it allowed me to get elsewhere but uh the goal was late season Kentucky and that's kind of coming to a halt now because I gotta I gotta fill my tag at home here so Idaho (laughs) Missouri Ohio PA for this season so far chasing around between elk and whitetail and Possibly, possibly going in late December out to Idaho to chase around whitetail. We'll see. I'm gonna need to smack something in rifle season here for that to happen. So I don't know yet. To be determined.
1: I think. I think the important thing here uh, to, for y'all to take away is that uh, Preston is a real guy. He's a he's a working class fella, and nothing comes easy. And he's just willing to, I think, struggle through uh, sleepless nights and some uncomfortable conditions and a lot of travel to to do what I think a lot of us see people do on TV and think that it's out of reach. Correct.
2: That's basically the point that I'm really putting this group together with to get across. Um, now granted, I'm not married. I do not have kids and that makes things a lot more flexible, but I run a couple businesses and it takes a lot of my time. And unfortunately they're hand on businesses as a chiropractor. When my hands aren't on it, that business starts to slow down. However, one of my buddies has two kids and he's an emergency room doctor on swing shifts. The other kids in the contracting business with kids, and, and I mean, they still manage to also have time. So what we're trying to show is, I mean, even as much as you know, an emergency room doctor on swing shift, he still gets out. He'll be completely sure. bogged down, tired, and you can see it on his face. And he's sitting in the woods. Um, same goes for my other buddy running around in uh, running around in Ohio just dead to the world tired but you know his wife gives him some flexibility to be able to still get out and and he does it he does it so we have kind of all the family and responsibility bases covered and yet we still I mean Cam out in Ohio he'd be a great guy for your podcast he just gets it done it's I mean, I think he's got like eight or nine hundred and forty plus inch deer in the last six years between Ohio and wow. Kentucky. He just pounds he just pounds Monster Whitetail. So he gets it done with a full time job where sometimes he's working hundred hours a week. So yeah, that's you're right. That's exactly what we're trying to say is I might drive till two A speaking of which, this hunt that's gonna come up the day before I drove till two AM, I think I was actually texting you. I can't even remember. Yep, you were. and I worked yep. till a little after eight o'clock and drove till two because I was scared. My little hunting trailer was going to freeze cause I didn't winterize it. And I had to get out there and ended up having probably the first or second best weekend hunting whitetail of my life, hands down just in terms of seeing deer. So, which a lot of it, I caught on film, which is great. But, uh, no, you're right. Yeah. Just not making an excuse. I can't, I sat Saturday for the last day of what I can get out for archery here in PA It was flood warnings and a monsoon, and I sat for six hours. Didn't see a deer. I didn't even see a squirrel. But you can't catch a a deer moving in that one moment if you're sitting at your house. And I know a lot of guys that didn't go out, and I was like, I got nothing better to do with health. (laughs) I'm going to go sit in my tree stand. And I went out and sat there from about 11 o'clock till dark, which was terrible. But you never know. I've killed deer and crap like that. So it is what it is.
1: There you go. Well, guys, if that interests you, if if seeing somebody uh, chase big game all across this country, but, you know, understanding that he's not uh, any better off than any of y'all, he just puts forth the effort and his crew does, do, do uh, yourself a favor and follow him on Instagram. Um, but we, we got you on the show to talk about a particular story about a particularly uh, – phenomenal in my opinion phenomenal once in a lifetime buck the char- um, yeah
2: in terms of character it's just he yeah. might he might not be that 160 inch deer that you take but i would take this one over probably anything sub 160 100 times in a row just due to the character of him it's yeah. just i mean and and there's a little bit of a story i mean i, I got on to him so that's but like like you said i over and over i mean he only ended up scoring 100 and. 141 inches only due to short tine length. Everything else, I mean, it's. check out the pictures. I'm going to try to upload some more just to show the characteristics. But, I mean, covered, covered in tree bark, which we're going to get saved for the mount. I mean, his antlers were just covered in tree bark. And the color of, taxidermist said, probably one of his favorite colored capes he's ever seen in his life I mean, double brow tines on both
1: sides. The ones. Well, don't like give a, it. Don't don't give it all away now. Wow, wow! I can't help it. This <laughs> thing got me. He got me riled up. No, I, and and as, as everybody will see in the photo, um, if you go to my Instagram, I'm gonna get. Uh, I'll have these photos posted as well uh, when when this uh, for this uh, episode drop. It, it you can when you see these with your eyes, you'll see exactly why. I mean, you know, you, you I think. The most telling feature is a lot of your hunters nowadays when they're taking a photo with their with their buck, they're they're real stone faced, you know, they're real stoic and everything. <laughs> and that, and Preston is the exact opposite of that. He is grinning well, from ear to ear.
2: Well, and let me throw this in there too. If they do go on and they see, I I think I posted maybe two or three pictures. Those pictures, I mounted, I took my my tree arm for my GoPro and I strapped it to the back of my four-wheeler, and I took my headlamp and strapped it to my four-wheeler, and I set the timer for five seconds on my camera. So those were taken by me. So I'm sprinting back there, and there's not much of a pose going on to really
1: make the deer look
2: bigger than it is because it took all of my ability just to get behind it. Um, Oh, man. My last... Uh, I think two or three but prior to that I have no pictures with because I'm always by myself which I guess there's always a downside but you'll notice the deer's legs aren't propped up he ain't laying yeah. to make him look any bigger than what he is what you see is what you get he is what he is and I'm I mean I'm sitting right there with him because I I wish I could have taken a picture of the Jimmy rig system I built to take a picture of me
0: <laughs> so
2: that was the part <laughs> I was laughing at I thought it was funnier than hell but it is what it is right bud
1: that's it that's it so, let's uh let's let's get a little bit of the backstory into this because we have a we've got a uh, surprisingly large number of new and uh, up and coming bow hunters. I didn't really expect uh, that many new bow hunters to cling uh, to enjoy the podcast. So let's let's give them a little bit of the technical knowledge that kind of went into this. Um, this was a Ohio buck. Yep. What what part of well what kind of geographics went into this 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 hut is this so open farmland? Is this, this mountainous is drum- area?
2: No, hardwoods, all hardwoods. Okay. Um, Ohio is a very funky state. You can get in portions where it's completely agriculture, as flat as you can see, but in southeastern Ohio, it is very. You got a strip of the mountain range coming down from West Virginia, and it is very very hilly, very steep, very rocky. And you drive two hours north, you're into agriculture. But this was. Southeast. This is a property that I'd been on for uh, three years now that um, was actually bought out, was actually sold to gas and oil mineral right company and pieced up into like five different parcels, but was in the process of being sold this fall. And in that interim period, it was green lighted to still be able to hunt on because nobody was actually buying it yet. And there was not, it was being surveyed. So in that off chance, I said, I'm going to hunt it with every last ounce I've got. Meanwhile, this entire fall, I've been scouting multiple public properties, and I actually, this past weekend, it went out and I said, okay, I'm going to hunt Friday, Saturday morning. If it's dud, I'm heading to public because I'd picked up some really good trail cams of a few giants, and I said, I'm going to go get on those guys, and lo and behold, the scouting I'd done in previous weekends kind of kept me here, so to speak. So I had sat mm-hmm. quite a few hours, but it's very hilly, very hilly.
1: So this um, that that's kind of catching me off guard. I think somebody else, I mean, it may have been Whitetail Experience, kind of mentioned the same thing, or maybe you had before. When I think of Ohio, excuse me, I don't really think of hills. <laughs> you know, no. That, it it, it kind of it, it always throws me off.
2: Most don't, but, like, I'm going to say southeast and south-central until you get into the western portion. I could be wrong. I've lived here my whole life, but I think it's the bottom of the Blue Ridge Mountains run across. And If you look on a map, Ohio and West Virginia kind of interlock in a few spots. And, I mean, they're not mountains by any means like I'm used to in PA, but they're hills. They're, they're big, big valleys and big drainages, and uh, I could drive an hour and a half to my buddy Cam's, and it's all agriculture. Little fingers, little pieces of woods. So uh, Ohio yeah. hunters, he's kind of one of the main reasons I brought him sort of onto uh, our group of guys because he has experience with a hunting style I've never been around in my life. Hunting fingers, agriculture—I I don't. That stuff's tough to me because I only know how to hunt the big hills and the drainages and the saddles. Sure. Um, he knows how to hunt that stuff. So it, it's an odd state. It's an odd state. That's for sure
1: yeah and and i'd I'd like to one day uh maybe as soon as next fall I'm gonna try and start getting out and hunting some different states and you know Ohio's on my hit list mainly because I've got a lot of family that's up in Columbus and well
0: um,
2: cams in Columbus we're gonna have we're gonna have four or five public land spots within two hours of Columbus next year. We've already got them on. it's just a matter of figuring out which ones do we want to hit and when that's all
1: yeah, yeah yeah. I, and I think I'd be interested, I, at some point, uh, I may drive over and look at that uh, uh, hilly part of Ohio because that seems to kind of resonate with how, if it's all hardwoods and stuff like that, that that'll that resonate with what I'm used to, which is uh, a, a absolute devoid of any agriculture. You know, hunting in, in southeast Georgia and here on the panhandle, their, agriculture is not really... A thing it the soil is not really ideal for it you know when you get up closer to where my co-host Layton is up in Thomasville southwest Georgia you start hitting some ag but uh I think I think uh, that trend the transition from the the Georgia mountains that I'm I'm used to to there would be probably pretty uh pretty probably, probably pretty quick with a better opportunity at a bigger buck
2: yeah oh uh, yeah I, I I would say so but it's like like I said you gotta remember too if you stumble on any of these places where we're hunting. We're gonna be putting you in a stand anyway, so throw a scouting out the door. And just come with us.
1: <laughs> there you go. I appreciate you, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: It makes really takes the legwork out of it.
1: Yeah, you know what? I will just I'll I'll come hunting with the DIY hunter uh, outfitter, and uh, we'll 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 throw you some some advertising.
2: <laughs> That's pretty much would be the goal, because theoretically it'd be a, it'd be a filming hunting switch off. However many yep. we just rotate shifts. That's all, because uh, that's that's what we're gonna be doing next year. We're going to, we're basically going to all all public land as of next fall, essentially.
1: So, nice. Yeah. So I'm, it's gonna be. I'm a, moving every, in a similar direction. It's gonna here. be
2: a change, but we're into it. There's big buck to be had. It's just a matter of uh, we're just getting tired of getting jerked around and people taking property and selling. You know, you're never gonna lose your spot. You might be fighting guys, but you're not gonna lose your spot. You just have to yeah. put in a heck of a lot. You know, with my camera gear and taking my hang on in, you know, I'm up somewhere around 45 pounds. That's not a mm-hmm. blast for a mile and a half going up into the hills. That's, yep. it's brutal.
1: Yeah, that doesn't sound like any kind of fun, but I, I, I'm with you. I've done it before. I, I dabbled in it, uh, no hills, but I dabbled in it with, uh, you know, just a cheap camera arm and a DSLR and my climber. And that, when I put my pack on there and everything, not including my boat, it was 39 and a half pounds. I was like, oh my God. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's rough. Oh. <laughs> and I'm a, and I'm a flatlander, man. You know, I'm down here at sea level. I, I'm 35 pounds overweight. So one of my goals this summer is is to shed that and get my back and uh, legs conditioned to where I can start doing that a little more. Because that was the biggest deterrent. You know, you wake up in the morning, you put that 39 pound pack on your back, and you're like, huh, this this is really gonna suck if I kill something. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: and that's and that's what kills me is my climber is only 14 pounds, but my right. hang on. My hang on is thirteen, but my sticks are another. Mm-hmm. Oh God, I don't know, 14, 15, Because I refuse to go into deep into public with a climber because you don't know what you're going to get. And a hang on, I can put in anything. So it's sure. the sticks are what kill kill me. But I got a pretty awesome packing system, and I'm going to do a uh, I'm going to do another video on YouTube here at the end of the season just to show how I how I pack the sticks with the stand and then get it onto my backpack so that it's a one carrying system. It's kind of cool yeah works out well but um
1: yeah you know i'd be interested in seeing that because uh you and i talked in the off season about uh the lone wolf versus the millennium and that's a conversation for another day but i'm i'm about 50 50 on getting a millennium and trying it for comparison's sake you know oh god uh, it's
2: so awesome i mean (laughs) my buddy just sat in mine this past weekend out on this ohio property and he was like if, if there was a pillow, because I, I wouldn't be able to stay awake. I'm like, no, nah, that's the tough part. <laughs> it's very difficult. It's so relaxing and comfy. It's They're they're nice. Same weight, you know. It's just a different style of a stand, and it's not any more bulky or less. It just is what it is, preference thing. I just – I like the side pieces. I like where my arms can sit on something because my shoulders get tired on those little discs. And I'm – anybody that didn't listen to the, the last podcast, I'm a big sunrise-sunset sitter. Like – no ifs, ands, or buts. If I have the day, I'm um, sunrise to sunset, regardless of activity. Because I, too many times, you bust a two o'clock buck taking a cruise, and you just you, you wouldn't have got them coming out of the woods. So, comfort to me is worth no price value.
1: So let's let's get back to, to this story. Yeah, so, uh, we, we've established that this, that we're looking at no agriculture. We're looking at hardwood uh, hilly. What were the yep. what were the the weather conditions, and where was the rut in – in relation to the time when you were hunting was it full bore get, give us that rundown. so
2: it was i actually got it was probably about the best thing you could ever have happened about wednesday wednesday late late evening a really big cold front like 25 degree drop hit out in the area where i was heading to in ohio and i had actually left thursday night to get out there now this was my Second straight weekend in Ohio, and the previous weekend, scouting is what put me on this spot. Um, just for a little backstory, the prior weekend, I had hunted what I thought was going to be very good. And it was pre, pre-chase, like pre-lock was just starting out there. And I had seen 8 or 12 doe each day that I had sat and never saw an antler the weekend before. And my last day, I moved stands onto the whole other side of the property And I was like, you know what, I'm coming out of the stand at like 1030, it's 75 degrees, i got to figure out what's going on here. And I found, you can actually see the the pictures on my Instagram, I found about a 25 tree rub line on a little finger of a ridge right off one of my stand sites, and the trees were all anywhere from the size of your quad up to the size of your waistline. And I was like, that is a giant, giant rub line. I mean, it was massive. And I went and sat in the stand until, like I said, about 11, And I was sitting on that stand. And on the bench down below me, same bench I've actually tagged out on before, I was sitting there in the middle of the day, hotter and heck out, and I heard uh, really weird. It reminded me of an elk, an elk kind of calling his cows in. And it just sort of, and it kind of caught me off guard because it was windy. And I looked back down, and I was like, nah, it wasn't a deer grunt. There's no chance. Three seconds later, again, right, I mean, 150 yards below me. And at this point, I'm sitting on a scrape line on the top of a ridge, the highest piece of the property, and that rub line I had found is 200 yards in a straight line from where these grunts are. And I went, what on earth is that? And before I could even let out a grunt, it did it one more time, just... And I thought, that is probably whatever it is that I'm chasing in here. And I never saw him. I never heard him. I don't think he came out of this bedding area. I don't know how he got out of it without me hearing him because it was so dry. But I said, you know what? I'm going to sit here for a little while longer. Came down out of the woods. Said, I'm getting out of here quiet. I put the four-wheeler in neutral. Pushed it. Started cruising. Got out of there. I I let it roll down the hill. I didn't even want to turn it on. And got out of there. And then that leads us into the next week. I'm working on Thursday. And I was going to come out Friday morning and hunt. And that cold front had just hit and it dropped. The previous Sunday was in the mid seventies and I was gonna be hunting Friday in the mid-20s. So I flew out, I drove four hours out after work. I worked from nine to seven, seven thirty, left, got out there Thursday night, Friday morning I was like, Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go, I'm gonna sleep. I'm gonna sleep till about seven thirty or eight o'clock instead of being in the stand at six o'clock, so that I can make it all day because I think it's going to be a really, really good day. And I'm on a ridge top with bedding on both sides of me and on about 90 yards below me on a saddle. And I've seen this spot get really hot in the past if there's a hot doe in there, because it's thickets, and they can just run these corridors. North and south all day. And if it's a eastern wind, they're on the east side of the hill running above the thicket. And if it's a western wind, they're on the west side. And I'm right on the top, and I can see both sides. So I go up there about... 8.30, 8.45 in the morning and I slow walk out this ridge and I had set a camera about two weeks before that I hadn't looked at and I thought, okay, I'm going to take a look at this camera and see what's on it. I pulled a camera card. Son of a bitch, my freaking reader's dead. I'm like, okay, you got to be shitting me. <laughs> and I said, okay, I'm not going to hunt this ridge. This looks really good. I'm going to get my hang on up into the tree. I'm going to take my climber and I'm going to go to the other side of the property and I'm going to hunt where I saw them doe the previous week. I turn around on the ridge, and the buck that I end up smacking is standing 75 yards from me, staring at me, and busts out full sprint down into the hollow. And I went, well, that's the biggest buck I ever saw in the woods in my life, so that sucks. And he's gone. Now, he, tail- he tailed down, and he went straight down into the woods, right into the thicket that I was going to be hunting above. And I said, you know what? I've seen this before. I've shot buck doing this before. Hell with this. I dropped my shit, I loaded up and I went straight up the tree that I just I just set this stand set for, which was about ninety yards from where I'd usually sat for the previous three years. I moved it north on this ridge just based on where I was seeing sign. And a couple trees had fell and it opened up some shooting lanes. I went right up the tree and sat and that was it. Nine thirty I was probably sitting and I had busted him at about nine. And I kid you not, by 10, I'd probably already seen three doe, one potential shooter, and one immature buck in the first 30 minutes I was sitting. And from there on, the rest of the entire day, it was buck after buck after buck after buck after buck. And I ended up seeing 12 buck and 10 doe in that sit from 9 to dark. And it never stopped. And it just it went and it went and it went. And I was like, it perfect wind. I, they did exactly what I thought they were going to do. The wind was from the east, and they were running the eastern side of the hill above it between me and the thicket, and they were winding above it just running north and south. And I would just watch them and watch them. And I actually, on my, uh, my video footage, I actually called in a pretty solid probably 118-inch, 115-inch, 8-point, 9-point, but he was probably six and a half. He was a massive body. And I was at full draw on him, and he, I grunted him in. It was awesome. He came in grunting right to me. I had a little bit of the footage on there. He came up and hit the scrape directly below my, foot sta- below my footboard. He scented it, pissed in it, scraped at it, and ended up walking away grunting. He, he was pissed off. He didn't like me being in there, but he didn't know what I was. And uh, I would taken a leak in that, that scrape before I would climbed. And I actually have him on my trail camera video hitting that scrape and I was videoing him from the tree. So it's a pretty cool, like two angle view. But, um, I had buck just cruising all day and I got out of the woods quiet and I thought, okay, I'm going to get back down in here tomorrow. I'm going to get in here way before light though, because I I think they're going to be, I think they're going to be on here. I get down to my, down to my little RV and charge my reader up and I pulled up and sure enough, this guy, this guy hit this hit this scrape at midnight the night before and he just obliterated these scrapes right below my tree stand in the middle of the night and I thought all right he's cruising this ridge he's just not doing it in the daylight I'm sitting the next three days on this ridge and I'm not moving because I had a southeast wind for the next three days which was perfect and I was like I'm not moving until Monday night which gave me Saturday Sunday Monday to hunt him and all I need is one hot doe to come through here and uh, it all kind of culminated from that rub line that i had found from scouting instead of hunting Mm -hmm. on the day that i had left to hunt which i think goes for a lot if you're not seeing activity i always just get out of my tree stand i bag it and i scout i put boots on the ground and i just start scouting the area and try to find fresh sign and come back to it the following week or two weeks and uh i went to bed got up early got into my tree stand i was pulling my bow up the tree stand i had A six-point cruise, the ridge line, hit the scrapes. My bow was halfway up. Two seconds after him, I had a coyote cruise. I still didn't have my bow up. And then I had gobblers going nuts on the end of the ridge, and you know I'm a big bird hunter. And I was like, I am smacking one of them longbeards if they come in because I know it was a group of gobblers. I saw them the day before. So Saturday morning starts. It was about 17 or 18 degrees out with, like, 20-mile-an-hour winds. And I thought, it's going to be a long, cold day, but... Here we go. Okay, day number two. And by 7.30, I'd already seen eight deer, a coyote, and heard gobblers. Mm. So the day kind of – the day started out pretty pretty nice, I'm not going to lie. And then it sort of just went calm and just sort of deadened, and I didn't see anything. And uh, about 8.30, 8.45, I stood up on my tree stand to turn around and face the tree because a lot of times when I take leaks out of a tree – I'll go I'll go on the tree itself so that it doesn't hit the leaves and make a ton of noise. It just runs down the tree, mm-hmm. and I'm not real big concern of going to the bathroom under my tree stand because I've killed a million deer while peeing under the tree stand the whole time, and you know, Me too. every animal goes to the bathroom, and uric acid <clears throat> uric acid. It doesn't know my pee from anyone else's pee. They hit scrapes that I go to the bathroom in, so... I turned around to pee on the base of the tree to make no noise. And about 90 yards down this ridge I'm hunting, I saw a little doe face sitting there feeding. And I was like, Oh, there's some doe. All right. And then I saw another one. I saw another one. I'm like, Oh, cool. I got a whole group of doe. And at this point in the year, what I saw the day before, I thought pre-lock was in full swing and we were heading towards lockdown probably within the week, within four or five days based on the activity. And, uh, Anytime I see doe at that point in the year, it's like chum in the water. I hope they come lay down at my tree, as far as <laughs> I'm concerned. They do whatever they can to stay near me. And they probably walked 20 yards just feeding, very slow. There's there's some white oak up on top of this ridge, and they were just feeding. Nothing crazy, just sitting there. And I was going to grab the camera and swing the camera arm around, and I'm like, ah, I'll wait till they get right in front of me. I know where they're walking on this little path. They're going to end up at 30 yards right beside me. I'll wait till they get over here. I zipped up, and I, I just sat there, and I was watching them, and they got to about 75 yards, and the lead dose sort of busted out full sprint and ran 26 yards and stopped dead nuts broadside to me, turned around 180 degrees, whipped around and looked backwards, and I went Oh, daddy's coming real fast. She is nervous <laughs> as hell. I grabbed my camera, and as soon as I got it on, if you watch my hunting video, you got to turn the volume up because I didn't have the microphone aimed towards where he was coming from. That same exact grunt I heard the previous Sunday, <clears throat> as far down the hollow as I could hear, and he was on his horse, and you'll actually hear the leaves on my video, he was probably 250 yards away. You'll hear the grunt. And you'll hear him running. His are in my video, and they're not moving. And you hear the leaves coming. And then he came again, about 30 seconds, and they were the doe were like they were nervous as hell and didn't know what to do. And at that point, it was game on. I didn't have to do anything. I got the bow ready. I got the cameras all turned on, and he was coming on a freaking rope, and almost cost me that his doe was facing me because he came from the western point of the ridge directly at me so when he comes into frame it would have been a brisket shot and I was at full draw debating it because my fear was his next step is going to be 20 miles an hour and uh, he came in I had four and a half seconds from when he came into actual view of which buck I knew that he was to when I shot was only 4.7 seconds, I think. So the camera angle doesn't miss me seeing him. I never saw him until you see him on the video footage. And from that point to when my arrow leaves is under five seconds. So it was a commanding quick effort on my part, I guess, to pull the shot off. And if you watch it, he was moving basically the entire time. It (laughs) It was exhilarating to say the least, but this video footage is exactly why I do it, because to relive it, I didn't remember it being so quick. I mean, and it was incredible. Uh, it was incredible to watch it all on film, thinking that I had a bad shot. and oh, How did I miss that shot? It was an easy shot. And on the footage, because of the camera angle, he appears very broadside. He was very not broadside. Um, the exit hole is about 16 inches back from the entrance hole, so he was quartered two pretty severely. So it just... Camera plays tricks on you because where it was and where I was standing weren't the same thing, but um, I was ecstatic. I was ecstatic. He shows up in the frame. You'll see he comes out of the maple saplings, and that's it. It's it's green light city from there, but based on his grunt, I knew he was that buck from the weekend before, and I knew that had to be his rub line, and the fact that I saw that one on my trail cam footage, I just presumed it was him coming in, and I figured, okay, this is the buck I, I would have probably hunted till the end of the season. Let's go. And, you know, a, a lot of times there's there's luck involved in hunting for sure. Something made me move that tree stand 75 yards north on that ridge. I don't know why. And he ended up in my only shooting lane because I don't cut shooting lanes when I run and gun. I refuse because I you can smell – if I can smell fresh tree, the deer can. So – I kind of hunt in thickets and just pray they step into an area I can shoot. And just so happened his deer parked her butt right in my shooting lane, and he came right to it. I, so if there was someone looking out for me, God willing, hey, worked out in my favor, I guess, because it was I had about six foot shooting lane at thirty yards, and that's it. No, nowhere else. And if you watch a video on my YouTube page, you'll see there is he's never in the open until he's standing right there. So a lot of luck involved, but hey, whatever. I think you put enough time in, you pay your dues. Sooner or later, it works out.
1: Dude, that is awesome. It was crazy. (laughs) It was
2: crazy. And if you listen to this podcast, then watch the video, you're going to be like, oh, wow. Because it just... And I think you probably watched it. It just shows up out of nowhere. And I mean, he comes in grunting, and boom, it's on. It's 25 seconds from when he first grunted to when I had an arrow in him. I mean, it was... Oito white tail hunting is the most climactic sport in the world. I
1: think. Yeah, it is. And and <clears throat> I'm sitting here kind of just grinning because you know we get a lot of people. We have <clears throat> we've had a we've had a, a pile of people on here, and every one of them you hear the same thing in their voice that you hear right now in yours, and that is just you know you can just tell that you're visualizing that entire situation as you're telling that story. You're completely reliving it to the finest detail, and. It just it, it cracks me up because I can relate to that, you know. There's I don't have any I don't have any of this on video, which is something I plan to do one day, because I'd love to be able to relive it visually and be able to see it, you know, and kind of honestly, uh, honestly
2: even having a camcorder out there and you don't get the footage on video, you know, what's worth its weight in gold. Have it just running and you get the noise because listening to yourself and the stuff you said, you don't even remember saying some of your stuff. <laughs> what? Watch my video, you'll see I called my buddy Cam. Here, he's in the tree stand, and they're on good buck, and they'd shot a coyote. You'll hear me pick. You hear his voicemail pick up, and I'm like, "What are you doing? I know you're not doing anything. Pick your phone up, you boner." And I mean, it's hilarious. I don't even remember <laughs> saying that, but with just that camera rolling, yeah it's it's worth its weight in gold because you just don't know. You don't remember reacting certain ways, and and anybody who hunts for the right reasons. You kind of black out and time warp. Yeah. You don't. You don't know what happened, and that video footage allows me truly to give grave, grave details because it's in your brain. You just don't remember it, and then when I watch it, I remember it very specifically. It's like it's it's in there. I just it's like it's blocked out. So last year when I got that buck in Ohio on film, it got me addicted because it really let me live, like. I even put my hand in the camera, and you'll see it. And that thing's shaking at about 20 miles an hour. It looks like I have, looks like I have, a, you know, a serious health issue. But that was just adrenaline that I, I was trying, trying to get a hold of. Excuse me. But um, filming it, filming it's a blast. It just, it adds an aspect of really movement and and, you know, filming first and shooting second. It just so happens. I mean, I really, I get up in the tree and I really analyze which way my tree stands facing and how is that camera arm going to get that way if I'm going to get a shot. So it takes a lot of effort, but it, it's so worth it. It's so worth it. And you know, if, if you do watch this video, it's, I, I think we did a bang up job for two rookies. We don't have awesome editing software. We don't have thousands of dollars in equipment. Do I have a nice camera? Yeah. Because I realized that's a key to the whole thing is a good camera that picks up good sound quality. But, um, As far as that goes, we're very inexperienced. We're just sort of winging it. But uh, it was – the hunt was just – to not have someone there with me was um, pretty crazy. Now, one of the things in the video I do touch on a little, and if you watch, you'll see on my face fear, sadness, happiness was I thought the shot was very, very far back based on the camera angle, and I ended up backing out of the woods for – Liver shot, I thought it was liver, maybe stomach and gut. I backed out for, I'll do six to seven hours if I think it's gut or liver. And I backed out for seven hours and I sat in an RV by myself with very little cell phone service, just killing time. It was one of the most incredibly hard things I've ever done in my life. But
1: there's a video, I think, of your tablet or your something and you've got, or not a video, but a photo of you like watching Netflix or something, right? Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. (laughs) I, uh pulled a TV out from my truck that I had to take to one of my offices and was streaming my phone with a hotspot with very, <laughs> very little signal. But I connected it to my TV with downloaded – Netflix lets you download now, which is yeah. awesome. So I connected it to my TV and started watching downloaded movies. I don't even remember watching a single episode because I, I couldn't even – I couldn't shut my brain off. But um, in, in hindsight, to fast-forward past all that waiting, he was dead and piled up probably – I don't know, a minute after I had shot him, once I got all his organs out of him, it was a straight through-and-through liver hit with the back of the front lung, and uh, the video just looks like it's really far back, and I actually even posted pictures of the liver shot because I had a couple people saying, that's a bad shot, why'd you rush it, da-da-da, and it wasn't. It was through-and-through, one lung, full liver, and actually the hepatic duct, I actually clipped, which was a little bit of the smell I was getting, which is the duck that leaves the liver, so it does have bile in it. But um, the portal the portal system, which is the blood supply for the liver, I severed right in half. So he bled out just as fast as probably a double lung, and he went 95 yards without a blood drop. Not one, that's a lot, I, maybe 12 drops of blood the size of a raindrop in 95 yards, and he piled up in a weed pile. And on the video, I have live footage of me walking up, and you'll see any gutted or liver shot deer, they make a nice bed, and they lay down in it, and that's where they die. He didn't do that. He went full speed, took out some logs, and buried up
0: headfirst <laughs> into a uh,
2: into a briar patch. That's not a deer that was wounded. That's a deer that passed out and died from blood loss yep. real quick. Yep. And uh, he was so stiff, I actually couldn't bend his neck to get him out of the weeds. It wouldn't even wouldn't wiggle. I mean... I always say if their knees, I don't know what you call it on a deer, but the lower leg joint, if you can't, if you can't bend that, they've been dead a long time. So, sure. uh, I was happy cause I get very, very bothered. That's the first deer. It's at seven buck in a row. The previous six, I've not had to track cause I watched them die in front of me, oh. which has been awesome. So I, I don't it bothers me to my core thinking about a deer being wounded and or hurt and going somewhere sure. and laying down. I, sure. it's something about love and hunting them. It's going to happen, but, um, it truly bothers me, which I, I, me and you talked a little before on practicing techniques and shooting techniques. And, uh, for me to, my last six buck, I think six, six in a row to have double lung shots and have very, well, now last year I had a single lung shot, but it, He still was dead really quick, but uh, it it bothers me. So I was glad to know that he expired really fast, um, really fast. He honestly was probably dead before I went and got my arrow because there was so much blood loss. It just happened to be inside the chest cavity because of the wound holes. So uh, there was a lot of lessons to be learned there where inexperienced archer, I I don't know that you'd know what to do by yourself, Mm -hmm. which thankfully – archery hunting for 20 years taught me wait wait it out it's daylight everything's working in my favor it's freezing cold out yada yadi. now there's coyotes so i did go back in before dark because i'd seen coyotes that day and uh i started tracking but i only found his path due to broken limbs leaves being turned over there was no blood i, I found blood where i'd shot him and then That was about it. I found a couple drops, which at least let me know he went downhill. But after that, it was turned over leaves, broken limbs, and honestly smelling. Just smelling stuff, seeing if I could smell him on anything. It was a hard track, and I know 95 yards doesn't sound far, but when you're covering every square inch for 30-yard circles, it took me, I tracked for about two hours to get that 95 yards, and then I could see him piled up, his white belly on the other side there, so... It was an interesting hunt. It was very interesting, but to do it alone, do it alone, and then I ended up quartering—I ended up getting his hind quarters off in the woods to get him out of there because it was just too much of a pain in the butt to drag him out on my own. Which I know a lot of guys who will just muscle through it, quarter him up, if you know how, <laughs> just quarter <laughs> it up and get it out of there in two trips. It's a lot easier, a lot quicker, and his back quarters off you cut their that and the guts you cut their weight down by almost half yeah and then you get the back half out the front half out and there you go it's definitely
1: it's definitely the smart way to go about it work smart not hard
2: exactly <laughs> i agree completely
1: <laughs> well so let me ask you this to, to kind of wrap this up i like to ask this question for every, for every situation and i just alter it a little bit what's the one thing that you'd have to take away from like if you could only learn one thing from this situation what would you take away from Uh, this series of events that led to this harvest
2: you hit me with this one last time I remember and I (laughs) had no idea what to say one thing that I took away from this series of events
1: who because I feel like the reason why I ask everybody that is, there's always something to be learned if every hunt, Absolutely. if every hunt can end, even if it doesn't end in a harvest, if it learns, if it if it if it left you with another piece of knowledge, that's just going to lead to success down the road. So, you know, I, it's always interesting to put people on the spot and see what they say. I would say,
2: missing that, missing that shot, would have taught me tenfold more about probably how to handle myself in that situation. Um but the one thing let's think here. There was uh, I'm kind of struggling. I there was no real aha moment for me in terms of what was going on just because I've been very similar situations prior with hot dough like that
1: um well then let me ask let me ask it this way what principle did it reinforce because I to, for me I, as an outsider looking in it seems like you had a theory that that guides you and and I'll just I'll cut right to it it seems yeah. like it seems like your theory of when there's nothing going on get down and find find more sign and scout paid off in this situation because had you not I, I was that's kind of the
2: direction I was gonna tell you was the one takeaway was this year more than prior years, I've I've put boots on the ground because I, I've read about a lot of guys talking about scouting for 50% of the time that they have available to hunt, and I never used to do that prior because then you hear a lot of guys talking about just jacking areas up and screwing everything up, and you'll push a deer out, and he'll never be back and so forth. This buck was so hot, I might have been able to stand on that ridge in blaze orange with fireworks on my back, and he may have still came in because it was that irrelevant, but I was basically on the doorstep of his bedroom where he was hanging out, and it took a hot dough for me to land him. I, I, I think that would be a good takeaway because that was my first buck that I'd taken with midseason scouting in which, in all reality, I don't know for sure that that was all his sign, but I really can be super positive that there's a good chance it was and it paid off and was there grace of god luck yeah but also add in the instinct of me just sitting there going i'm going to move this tree stand like 80 yards up this ridge i just think this little saddle might be a better position than where that other one is for really no other reason other than being able to see a little bit better if you add that in culmination with the weekend before getting down leaving the woods half a day early to scout for four hours before i left put those together fast forward a week a couple hot dough and right where 300 acres i decided to sit on this saddle and he comes right to me i think you're right as an outsider that's kind of where i would go with it as well i think there was to me it seems like oh yeah no problem i got really lucky but there was obviously something to why I sat there based on things I had seen in the past with the wind and et cetera, et cetera. And it worked, worked like a charm. And I mean, let's say I don't shoot him. That was at 9 AM Saturday. I had seen 24 deer in 10 hours at that point. I don't know what the rest of that day had to hold because I, I went back to the RV. It was 20 degrees and windy and he was shot. I wanted to sit out and scout, but it was too cold. I may have seen 20 more deer. I don't know. Um, so as an outsider looking in, yeah, I I think I would say that would be one good principle was if it's dead, there's times where you have that gut feeling that maybe you're going to still get something cruising, but at the same time, would your valuable time be worth more to see if there's anything in the area that you're missing? That's a hundred yards away, a different saddle, different bench, something. And, uh, that's what I did the prior weekend, and it, it paid dividends because I, like I said, I'm quite sure that was him. So I, I think that would be an answer answer to your question there as best as I could for sure.
1: Sounds good, dude. I mean, it, it, there's multiple things to be learned from these stories, and I think uh, I go back periodically and listen to them because there's always something, you know, different perspectives from, you know, from having you on and your perspective to the Whitetail Experience crew, which is another great group of fellas. And then you've got you know Greg Litzinger, the bow hunting fiend. They, everybody's got a different philosophy, and I think, I think the the core guideline, guiding principle between all of those is getting to know what works in your area. You know what what you hear and read on in a, in a magazine doesn't necessarily work for you. Learn your property. Learn how you can push animals. Learn what works in that area, and then listen to your gut.
2: I I, I agree with you. And the one thing I laugh about is. I think one of the biggest biggest things is you can listen to so many people on so many styles and techniques, and in reality, the core basis of all of them are the same exact thing. They just sound different to speak about and write about only due to land lay, pressure, the diversity of where you're at. Because my buddy Cam in Ohio my buddy Jack in Delaware We are all the exact same hunter in a different area and our styles are completely different only due to what we have, the the deck of cards that we're dealt to hunt with. That's it. We would hunt the same if we were in the same spot, but we're not. So it it varies drastically. And then me and Cam getting on these really big tracks of Ohio and Kentucky, Kentucky and Ohio next year, we have the exact same hunting style. It just so happens that he's hunting a little bit more private and I'm hunting a little bit of a mix. And it varies only because of where we're at. So I I think you're right. Like you hear some of them big guys, like we watch, um, Midwest whitetail. They do a lot of exactly, exactly what I do with a slightly different spin because of less people pressure. Sure. They have a lot less. And they'll even, there's a couple of their videos. They'll even say that it gets very hard. Uh, the one guy, he's a hometown in Ohio and he's like biggest difference. He goes, there's plenty of Ohio land to hunt on. There's just so many people. And he's like, we get lucky out here because there is a lot less density trying to get into these public areas. So he's like, we can find separation due to getting out in them. But they're not doing anything different. When you hear them talk, it's exactly what me and you just talked about. A different spin, though, just based on maybe more acreage, less people. I don't know. Things like that. So it's 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 interesting. But um, yeah, takeaway for sure. Rather, beyond beyond figuring out how to control your emotions to make a shot like I did, and it's funny because watching it back, my my buddies were just ribbing me because it looks like a 14-yard broadside shot, and this thing was 26 yards with 28-degree downward slope, which if you don't know what that is, take your range finder and pretty much aim it at the ground. That's 28 degrees, (laughs) and with him moving like he was, there's a lot of like core shooting instinct and i'm by no means toot toot this unbelievable shot but your anchor points and how fast i pulled back and got held on him and eyeballed how distance it was and shot that that goes back to just pure basic 101 of shooting thousands and thousands and thousands of arrows so that you're comfortable enough to pull something off like that in four seconds especially with your heart pounding
1: yeah man we agree we need to have you back on. There's a variety of topics. Every time we, we speak we, we talk about a variety of topics that we could uh for days uh discuss and uh, I think I think we should put our put our heads together and in the off season probably uh maybe put to audio some of the things that you're gonna be putting in blogs as well and just try and increase that audience, man. I'd love to help get y'all as much exposure as possible.
2: Oh, I'd love it, man. And I, I like I told you before, I started Getting get in all your podcasts on my phone too, because I got a lot of downtime when
1: I'm driving. And there's,
2: <laughs> there's only so many songs on the top 20 you can listen to, and it starts to wear thin. So I do a lot of podcasts listening, but yeah, no, I love coming on. I just love talking about the
1: outdoors. Absolutely, brother. Well, thank you for uh, taking the time, and uh, bear with me for, for just a second. Fellas, ladies, if you enjoyed what you heard, there's one great way you could say thank you. Go to iTunes and leave us a rating or review and tell everybody else why you enjoyed this podcast. That that, that rating and review helps get us up in the charts, helps get us to the the, the next level, and and helps get the next generation of hunters the uh, access to our podcasts. If you do so, I will still send you a decal. Just please send me a message letting me know that you left us a uh, rating and a review and include your mailing address as well. I'll send that to you free of charge. Until next time, I'm Walt. Be good.